0: I've been doing this for uh, 22 years. It's actually my second career. I, um, I was a college dropout. So one day I decided uh, to go see a movie and I would never gone by myself, but for whatever reason, this particular day I did. And it completely changed my
1: life. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get Vital Insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. lead to the team world. Welcome back. Holy smokes. I've got a good one in store for you today with Kim K. Wilson, who's an entertainment, sports, and media marketing veteran with over 20 years of experience in driving growth for Fortune 500 companies. She spent her career at the forefront of innovation across content, distribution, and brand marketing. She serves as Senior Vice President, y'all. Brand and consumer marketing for SiriusXM, and I am serious. This is SiriusXM, where she oversees brand marketing strategy for its portfolio of audio streaming brands. Prior to joining SiriusXM, she spent 16 years, y'all, at the Walt Disney Company. Yes, that Walt Disney. In various marketing leadership roles, she's responsible for setting the strategic direction for driving fan engagement, customer acquisition, retention, and revenue for Disney's content portfolio, including. The Brands You Know, ESPN, Disney Channel, FX, Nat Geo, Marvel, Pixar, and ABC. And before that, she was Director of Marketing with Clear Channel Radio New Orleans. Now you probably know it as iHeartRadio. Holy smokes. And before that, uh, she was involved as the Distribution Sales Manager for BET Networks, Viacom. Man, Kim, you just have so many. That's a cool background here. And her education is extensive, including a bachelor's degree in marketing from Columbia College, Chicago, and earned a, ma- a master's degree in integrated marketing from Roosevelt University. She's a proud and active member of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And she, just because she didn't have enough to do, of course, she served as the co-founder and is serving as the co-founder and president of the Don D. Wilson Dream, a Dream Foundation. Wow. Kim, Welcome to lead the team.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. That wore me out. That was a lot.
1: <laughs> that, I mean, I feel like everyone just needs to know what they're getting into in this episode <laughs> because SiriusXM is pretty darn cool and being char- in charge of, uh, of what you are there and leading leading your team in that aspect, but all these other interesting companies, which leads me, leads me to lead the team to asking the question, how did you get started in all this in the first place?
0: well um so as you can see I've been doing this for uh 22 years it's actually my second career I um I was a college dropout I had gone to school for like a year and didn't pretty much care for it uh, and my parents were extremely upset with me so they said well, you have to get a job so I with just a high school diploma and one year of college, ended up getting a a job as a legal secretary for the Cook County Public Defender's Office. I'm from Chicago. And so I did that for six or seven years Hmm. and was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a court reporter. So I went to court reporting school. Then I thought I wanted to be a paralegal. So I went to paralegal school. I went to all these kind of random things because I thought law was going to be my trajectory. Um, But the reality was that I needed to go back to school to get a college degree. And um, coming from Chicago, there wasn't a lot of industry there in entertainment mostly Mm -hmm. local radio, local TV, and then some satellite offices for some of the bigger cable giants. Uh, So I didn't know anyone when I had gone back to school. So I was working full-time as a paralegal now for the state's attorney's office in the death penalty department uh, and going to school at night. So one day Mm -hmm. I decided uh, to go see a movie and I'd never gone by myself, but for whatever reason, this particular day I did And it completely changed my life. I saw a film that featured these beautiful, black, complicated, amazing characters who were uh, professionals in their own right. Um, They were friends, they were in love, they weren't, I mean, it was just like this fully rounded Hmm. storyline. And one of the characters was a producer for BET. And it was at that moment I knew, I was like, I want to do that. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I need to be that person. And so the film, the name of it uh, was called The Best Man. And it was a pretty popular film at the time. And in fact, they're getting ready to make their third iteration of this film this year. And so I wrote an an email, no, I mailed a letter to BET's office in D.C., requesting an internship because at the time you could, if you were in school, you could take a leave of absence for, for education reasons. And the woman who got my, my request was from Chicago and I graduated from Columbia and said, you can come if you, we don't pay, but if you can get to DC, it's yours. So I took a leave of absence from work. Now at this time, I'm 28. I pack up my stuff, I moved to D.C. for three months, and I interned for BET. And uh, at the end of that, they reached back out to me probably a month after I returned and was back on my full-time job. I only had a semester left in school, and they offered me a role in their Chicago office. So, I became a distribution sales manager for BET, uh, and that was in 2000. So... My Hmm. career path was not traditional at all. Uh, You know, I didn't like go to school for four years and then get that good job. And no, I decided that my path needed to be my path. And by the way, had I not dropped out of college, I probably would be an accountant. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that just wasn't my my path. And so I haven't looked back since.
1: Well, holy smokes. I thought I covered in your in your incredible bio. I thought I covered everything, but it turns out I'm just basically scratching the surface there. All right. So kind of breaking this down. The movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to this movie and you have this experience of I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you it had planted a, a seed of of possibility that you had not really seen for yourself until that
0: moment. 100%. And so representation is so important. It's not that I had never seen a movie about a group of friends who were all professionals and doing their thing and complicated and nuanced. It was very specifically seeing myself or a future version of myself reflected on the big screen and I was able to tell Malcolm Lee, who was the director and producer at the time, uh, who's Spike Lee's cousin. I was able to finally tell him what he did for me three years ago. I think I met. I ran into him at an event and he, he couldn't believe it. He was like, wait, what? I said, no, I am doing what I am doing today because of that film you produced in 2000. And he called, so Neil Long was the character. He calls her in front of me and sends a picture of the two of us to her to tell her what her character meant to me. And that was a full circle moment because when you think about I'm 28 years old, I'm still living at home with my parents. I'm working, you know, a government job that may or may not pay dividends. I don't know. It was something to get me through. And in a matter of six months, I see my I see a reflection of what I could be on screen. I go after an internship where mm. the average age is 19 years old and yeah, then within a yeah. few months were able to, to get a job. And that's not normal. But I think it was certainly divine intervention that I had spent eight years just kind of floundering and not really knowing what I wanted to do. And then this one moment hits and I'm like, that's it. And then I just wouldn't stop. I just became, you know, very focused on
1: that. You know, we, we just got a little bit of a tangent, but, but related, we just got back from Nashville to see one of our favorite artists, Brandy Carlisle, who was, Mm -hmm. was two nights in Nashville. So we had our yard daughter with us and we went to the country music hall of fame. Mm -hmm. which was, which is cool. It's, they put a lot of money to that place. It is really tells an interesting narrative, but there's only, or, and there's only probably three or four African-American, uh, Mm -hmm. country. Like you got Charlie pride. There just aren't that many African-American country music musicians in the museum or probably in country music Mm -hmm. general. However, a friend of ours who has, well, a new friend who I met through this show, who's the, uh, who I interviewed, uh, Megan Riley, who's, um, out there. She's, she's the, uh, she's an executive C-suite executive COO for SAP. And she lives there and she's like, Megan's like, Hey, you need to go to the African-American music museum. Have Mm -hmm. you heard about this museum? You probably, it's a museum. Mm -hmm. It's only been open for like a year and it's right around the corner from the country music hall of fame. And we're in the Country Music Hall of Fame. They're saying, hey, don't forget to go check out this museum, this African-American Music Museum. And I mean, it knocked our socks off. Mm. It uh, it basically tracks African music back to Africa. And then it coming over through all the different periods. Um, my favorite part was the hip-hop part, though. Because, I mean, it it breaks it down. They've got they they treat it with so much respect, and it really um, kind of opened my eyes to how all the music is woven together through different lineages and how it grew and so over the years and uh, wh- how prominent it is. And it's it was so interesting to see uh, the mix of people going through this museum, a different mix of people that then we saw going through the Country Music Hall of Fame but i do think there's probably a lot of cross pollination and to your go kind of weaving it back to your story of the representation of black artists in this museum is just so inspiring and incredible and we were able to get country and hip hop and blues and all that all within 2 days mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see it represented in such a beautiful way but i think if you're an artist now you would go to nashville and you would go through this stink country, but now you're seeing this other, th- this whole other world. And I think it, I think it, could and probably has changed the, the trajectory of of music in Nashville mm. uh, from yeah. the standpoint. I, yeah. mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a plug for that. I think it's yeah. one of the best music <laughs> I've ever been to. But um, so doing a little research, I talked to our mutual friend who introduced us, Kim Blue, and I was like, well, you know what's talking to Kim here, uh, what should I ask her about? And she's like, well, she's a heck of a storyteller. And <laughs> you just demonstrate that. What, and, and so the, I, I find your story to be very inspiring. And I'm sure the people listening are, are having the same experience or, or many of them. And I'm curious from a leadership standpoint, how often do you use that story or other stories to help get your message across to your team, because I do think storytelling is a great leadership skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just curious, has uh, that story and maybe some other stories uh, impacted your teams?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I usually tell the story on um, when I'm doing panels or uh, even maybe one-on-one mentoring sessions and the the theme of the story is a it's not too late you know it's not too late to pursue your dreams uh and don't give up so that's kind of the the theme whenever i tell that story but there are a million stories that not only i can tell but are sitting on the hearts of people that you're talking to that will resonate that you can always apply to leadership to mm-hmm. Um, how to, you know, like again, lead teams, how to navigate spaces that you may not be comfortable with or familiar with. So I- I've heard this story has helped because, you know, you never know who you're talking to. Other, undoubtedly, there's always someone in the audience who is older, looking to pivot their career and don't know how to do it. Mm. Um, and feel like they're behind because they didn't do it sooner or they don't know anyone, so they're not going to be able to get in. Mm-hmm. And so um, while 28 is young, looking back because I'm well past 28, uh, it was fairly older, you know, for that for me to just stop working, take a non-paid internship uh, and kind of start all over. And mm-hmm. when you when I even look at my resume today, that first eight years of my working experience isn't even on there. So I had a whole you know host of experiences yeah. in, in the job market uh, that I don't even reflect on my resume, it, but it's as important as the job I do today because I had a work ethic by the time I got to the internship. So for me, it was about an audition to get a job, not just I need to get credit, not that 19, 20-year-olds are doing that, but I remember being 19 or 20, and that would have been that, like, I just got to get this credit to graduate when this was really about, no, I need to establish myself so that I will be considered for a role, even if it's an entry-level role. Now, thankfully, they brought me in at the manager level because I had had so many years of work experience, but um, storytelling, and, and this is Disney kind of you know, immersed me in this. Storytelling is so important because you just never know how people receive it. And I think people underestimate the beauty of of storytelling and trying to get a point across, trying to influence people, Mm -hmm. trying Mm -hmm. to get people to do something that they didn't think that they could do, inspire all of the things that come with that. Uh, And I learned a ton of that.
1: Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So what a, what's a bit of advice that leaders need to know about storytelling from Disney that maybe they're
0: missing? Um, make it relevant and be aspirational about it. Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean, you know, you're not leading with data. It doesn't mean you're not, you know, speaking factually. It just means that, you know, your audience, you're tailoring that message to your audience and you're motivating that particular audience to do a certain thing or to know a certain thing and you see what they've been able to do by doing that
1: yeah it's it is really impressive. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're really shedding some light on that because leaders need to need to understand that you know there's like the old people say you need to you know tell your story like a Pixar movie where there's like yeah. the sort of that fun factor, message coming across that everyone can get it, but also there's higher level themes or aspirations that you're trying to trying to get across. I mean, it's, and man, I was embarrassed over the July the fourth weekend, by the way, I was challenged to name four characters from Toy Story and I could not do it.
0: Uh, there's not, nothing to be embarrassed about.
1: Because I don't remember that story long enough <laughs> uh, or well enough. You know, so you know, thinking about your story, I, I do find it just extremely inspiring. I guess the thing that I think so many leaders uh, have to sort of get get through this though, is like you say, that they're comparing themselves to others in their career. And oftentimes, and a, a mentor of mine has been to compare is to despair. Uh, and th- this idea about, marching to the beat of your own drummer being able to make moves based on what's right for you not what you're seeing and taking an in- internship when you're 10 years older than a lot of the other interns there i suspect can be a hum- very humbling experience and, and so what's your message for for people like you says yeah maybe they want to change careers or make some big changes but they just don't feel like uh like it's gonna go very well or it's gonna be embarrassing when they're going to their next cocktail party and they're asked, Well, what do you do for a living? Well, I decided to go take an unturned uh in, you know, unpaid internship at Washington DC.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, what do you how, how do you respond to that?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's great fodder for conversation, to be honest. I mean, I did that twice. I took an internship twice, one at 28 and one at 30. <laughs> so, nice. And neither were paid. I was—I took one in grad school because BT mm-hmm. laid, laid me off. And they laid a bunch of us off in Chicago. And I was in grad school at the time and decided to let's try this again. So I went over to Clear, Heart, Clear Channel mm-hmm. and uh, applied for an internship with the Smooth Jazz radio station. And I did that for three months, and then they hired me. So, I I, I believe in internships, number one. But <clears throat> to your to your point about you know, compare comparison is the theft of joy. And someone told me that that uh, statement a couple of years ago, and I've never forgotten it because it's true. And I think people misconstrued the difference between comparison and competition. It's okay mm-hmm. to be competitive. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to be competitive in your business. It's okay to compete with yourself to kind of level up. It's okay to have healthy competition within an organization. I think when you get into comparison, you start to to think about what you don't have versus Mm -hmm. what you have. And you're always going to feel behind if you're constantly comparing yourself to people whose paths were different. My sister is two years younger than me. She did the traditional, she went to an HBCU, graduated in four years, went to grad school, got a master's degree, went to grad school again, and got a master's degree. All by the time I was probably just getting my bachelor's. And so I could have looked at that through the lens of comparison and thought, I'm behind my little sister's, Mm -hmm. but to me, it was competition where I was inspired to do more. I was I was inspired to be better, to get, you know, to that level. So, I I try to stay out of the comparison business because it can be defeating if you're always thinking about what you don't have in comparison to others. But I will absolutely use competition to to level up. Man,
1: I love that. And I, <laughs> I just I love distinctions like that. Yeah. I'm competing against as if that's a bad thing. But real, like you say, if you're focusing on what you can bring, how you're doing the scoreboard doesn't look like what I'm missing. It's like, what else can I do to perform
0: mm-hmm. versus,
1: oh man, you know, I'm, I look and look at the scoreboard and I, you know, I'm behind so much. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's not even worth playing the game. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and whereas the, looking at the scoreboard, you're a little behind on the scoreboard. Like, I want to play it because I yeah. know I can do better. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and performance. So, man, what a great distinction for all the leaders out there listening today because, I mean, man, y'all think about that. When you talk to your team, are you helping them understand what you mean by competing? <laughs> 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 they might be thinking, man, I'm my boss is just comparing, comparing me to the people down the street and I just feel like I'm less than uh, versus, hey, I can grow. So wonderful, wonderful, wonderful distinction. There, Kim. Uh, so what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee? And why do you think it's so important?
0: Um, patience. Mm. And it, patience is such, it's so important because, you know, I, I think especially post pandemic, the level of stress that people and businesses have, have experienced, and I've, I'm one of them, and trying to mm. deliver today, 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 today versus like what seeds can I plant today that will then um, uh, bloom later that will reap the benefits on. And it's everything from I started this job today and I it's six months mm. in and I don't get promoted to um, even from a marketing perspective, you know. Brands are, are struggling to show the value of long-term growth when you plant seeds today versus, or in addition to, not versus, in addition to that kind of immediate ROI. And I don't Speak know. Speak language. <laughs> it's insane. So I don't know that a lot of people, brands, companies have a lot of patience for growth whether again, it's an individual career aspiration or, um, you know, business outcomes. I do think there should be a balance between, all right, let's plant these seeds and let's see what that growth looks like over time. While we're also, you know, being intentional and, and deliberate about immediate ROI. Sometimes that immediate ROI is fleeting. And so I think brands have to de- decide what is the value of that, cons- that consumer that you want? What is the value of that job that you want? What is the value of that relationship that you want? If you get it today versus that you just waited to see yeah. the outcome of those seeds that you planted, and will that get you that long-term more quality and sustainable growth that you say you want?
1: I'm really glad you're hitting on that. Every leader faces that if you don't if you're not facing that now out there, you will face it soon. you got to deliver. Absolutely. but you know delivering on the immediate metrics may not be what you need to deliver on for the long term. Mm-hmm. Kind of get into that urgent versus the important mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. branding is is so much like that. I mean, I face that uh, when we're talking to companies and organizations about about the the value of podcasting mm-hmm. which is a journey i started a few years ago and i was just kind of stumbling around and if, where i really understood kind of what was happening and how to go about it but podcasting and uh as you i mean i know you know this but podcasting is definitely the long term game because you're kind of <laughs> building an asset that people come back to days months years from now and it's uh it's it's, been, it's an interesting perspective so we we usually go like really promoted on social media to get, get you know, thousands of uh, thousands of engagements of, uh, of views and whatnot on, on LinkedIn, which can be you know based on the episodes pr- promoted, it can be from one thousand if it's not really promoted that well and effectively, or if you go through an effective promotion process, it it can be twenty five to thirty thousand. Mm-hmm. But that's still not the long term game mm-hmm. for it. And so I just offered a little bit, a little bit of that podcasting insight uh, for the listeners there. But yeah, so when you, so this is a great thing to think about as a leader though, how are you working with your team? So they understand the the importance here of delivering now versus delivering later and how you really got, you really, you really need a foot in both worlds, right? Yeah.
0: I, and, and then, you know, it's, it is a hard conversation to have depending on your business. Uh, and, it can certainly cause, you know, a lot of scrambling and, and people kind of running around trying to find solutions, and I don't always know that it breeds innovation. So, where I like to play is, is, what are those innovative things that we can do that may not, you may not see the fruits of that labor tomorrow, you may see it in three months, you may see it in you know, the next quarter. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a mindset and, and mm-hmm. also balancing the needs of the organization. You know, the, the, you know, you've got to hit numbers. You've got to, you know, if you're public, you've, you, you've got a, a responsibility to the You like all of those things. Ooh, yes. play. And I think that the, the other thing I would say that's income in, com, in um, complementary to this is making sure that your team understands how the business makes money, because if you don't know how your business makes money, It doesn't then resonate why you're making the moves that you make. So if your company is built on EBITDA, that looks very different than a company who's focused on growth. Yep. Teams have to know that because if you don't know that, you have no idea why your boss came and told you to do that thing or your boss took your budget or your boss asked you, gave you a budget and said, go run. So um, the one thing I've learned over time is know how your company makes money and know the, the, the correlation between that and your remit.
1: I absolutely love that. Um, it's surprising how few people don't understand how their job affects EBITDA right. or growth. Yeah, uh, And in fact, we designed uh, my company, yeah, we have a training and coaching uh, component of our business. That that's a big focus for us. and so we have training around business acumen and that's part of the, one of the exercises. We make sure everyone that attends that, they can, we actually bring up the income statement and we make sure they can track the impact of their job on in, in at least three different line items. And I mean, sometimes you're kind of scratching. You're like, okay, what is your job? Like, yeah. let's, <laughs> we know we can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they walk out of there speaking the common language of the business, it makes gives them more meaning to their job. If they're a public company, maybe they weren't tuning in or even listening to the earnings calls and now they're actually kind of interested. Mm-hmm. It just it, it is transformative. It yeah. is transformative. Uh and so I really like, I really like that that quote of, hey, know how your company makes money, and then secondarily understand how you impact it. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that is absolutely huge. Uh so I want to get some perspective on you uh, from you on what books, podcasts, or music do you recommend for someone who's already in the C-suite or is on a mission to get there?
0: Um, so for for marketing, I really like CMO moves. Uh
1: uh, Say say that one more time.
0: CMO moves.
1: Oh, CMO moves. Okay.
0: That's a good one for aspiring CMOs.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Um, I, I follow a lot of um, business insiders on Twitter. Actually, I get a lot of my, um, just kind of staying up to date on what's going on 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 Twitter. And I won't recommend any one particular one because, you know, it could, it could differ, but so, uh, so my, you're a
1: big Twitter user? Is that? I mean, that's. I am. I so, am. A, a lot of leaders, my even myself included, find Twitter to be just overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it's just. So, what is your approach to Twitter in terms of really leveraging it to get the most
0: benefit? I follow who I want to follow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you have fewer few people to follow. So when you get when you get on there, you're not just like inundated with all kinds of stuff.
0: I curate my feet and that's important. Now there, are obviously Twitter does a good job of elevating things to you that you did not ask for, but you use discernment, right? You don't get sucked into this hole of information that's taking you down these rabbit holes. Um, I'm very focused when I'm I'm on Twitter. Um, LinkedIn's a great resource for me as well. The trades, you know, Mm -hmm. ad weight, ad age. Uh, I read a lot of, um, industry trades like Hollywood reporter and, um, variety and and people
1: are like, really is that you get, you get to do that for professional. I know. Yeah.
0: You gotta know what's going on. A lot lot of people are going to be
1: happy about that. They're going to, they're going to (laughs) really want your job now.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, you gotta know what's going on in the entertainment industry, whether it's video, audio, Um, It's all, you know, it's all related, honestly. Uh, and then from a music perspective, I was heavy, heavy, I still am, Pandora user when I came to the company. Uh, Pandora is so great because it just takes the work out of <laughs> trying to find the music. So stations and playlists are just already built in and you could just press play and you're good to go. And then on the SiriusXM side, I love, love, seriously, Sinatra. Uh, I'm a huge Frank Frank Sinatra fan. Um, And then Heart and Soul. If I just want some... Uh, I've listened
1: to Heart and Soul. soul Yeah. And Sinatra. Uh, Well, my daughter's like, daddy, really? Are we
0: listening to Sinatra? I'm like, this is cool. Absolutely right. When I'm driving and I just want to decompress, uh, so I have a ton of channels, though, XXM Fly and uh, mm-hmm. Nation, but Yacht Rock, like I span <laughs> <laughs> because I grew up in a household full of music. My dad owned record stores when I was a kid. So oh, he good. had well. all of these you know, albums and then he would, then we, the a track era came and he would actually create compilation a track tapes. With music hmm. that he play in his business. And then uh, my mom is a wow. musician and, and so grew up in Chicago. In, in Chicago. That in Chicago. Wow. And I tell people the Yara piece, obviously it's 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 grounded in Black music, but when we would travel in the car across state lines, you would lose urban stations. And so you would end up with stations that played, it's not really Yacht Rock, but you know that genre of music, uh, Kenny Loggins, Christopher Cross, um, Doobie Brothers, like all of that. Yeah. You would pick that up on, if mm. I'm going from Illinois to Iowa, you lose certain stations. And so we grew up traveling south and we pick up these stations. And so we I fell in love with that music.
1: So your dad owned, what what type of record store did your dad own?
0: Um he he sold all kinds of music. It wasn't okay. a particular genre. Yeah. He um he had three stores on the south side of Chicago. That and that was I was very young, and then he transitioned into uh he owned motels with his brother um until he retired. And then he passed away seven years ago. So my love for music, which is ironic that I'm, you know, working in the business, I uh, came primarily from him. But like I said, my mother's a musician, and
1: so that is just so cool. Your mother's she's a musician. What? Yeah.
0: So my I grew up. My mom played the piano. My dad played a little bit, but for for sure, my mom uh, and sang. She sings currently, but yeah.
1: What type of music?
0: Gospel R and B
1: mm mm-hmm. so, so cool, well, Pandora, I agree with you that to me that's the beach station because you can put it like a waterproof case, a speaker waterproof, and then you can just pick your stations and then have that's it play cool. all day x m we love uh and I was just talking to about this y'all i i we really like alt nation mm-hmm. the spectrum, the pulse Blues. uh gosh, what a uh the highway, the highway, yeah,
0: so, country, yeah,
1: kind of a little, a little country, yeah. uh, bluegrass junction. All the sports, just all the sports in there. SEC, the SEC nation type stuff. Uh, I went to Bama with my wife. So you listen there it is. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: you must have loved it when we launched SEC Network when I was at ESPN. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes. In the fall, we go from music to a lot of football. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife, interestingly, listens to more football radio than even I do. Wow. So she's uh, really into it. So yeah, that's, that is a really cool connection. Uh, so let's wrap this up. Uh, unfortunately y'all I've still got another 10 to 15 questions. I did not get to, <laughs> but man, what an amazing story you hit us with right off the, right off the bat. And it just flowed so beautifully in so many ways. Some really cool resources that I want to include in the in the show notes. That distinction between competitive versus comparison. I mean, just so, so cool. So to put the sort of cherry on top of the interview here today, Kim, uh, what would you like to leave with the listeners? Um, you know,
0: just be a student of the business that you're either in or aspire mm-hmm. to be in. You know, the more the more you know about that particular industry, the better you're positioned. Um, don't be afraid to take risk. I, I think most people tell people this, but it's it, there's a difference between saying it and actually doing it because it is scary. Um, and that it's never too late to transition careers. I know there are people who have decided they no longer want to do the thing that they're doing and they want to. Whether it's a dream deferred or a a new dream that they've um, encountered, it's never too late.
1: It's never too late. Well, fantastic way to wrap this thing up, you. Thanks for coming
0: on. Thank
1: you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.